Please remain standing and turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Kings 20, the end of 23 and 24, as we are winding down our long study through uh, Kings. Second uh, Kings 23 and verse 29, we will, in the interest of time, read only through uh, verse uh, chapter 24 and verse 4. Excuse me, verse uh, 28, 23, 28. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king. And he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Livna. And he died, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Revla, in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and changed his name to Jehoiakim, and Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, every, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh, Necho. Now chapter 24, verse 1. In his days... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him, and the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord this came upon Judah, to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word, which you have spoken to us, and we pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would come now and that you would speak to us. We pray you would open our eyes, that we would see our Lord Jesus high and lifted up. We ask that you would open our ears, that we would hear the voice of our good shepherd, and that hearing his voice, his sheep would know him, and he would know them, and we would follow him and offer our hearts to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. 
The End, Part 1. The Battle of Chancellorsville, Virginia, in early May of 1863 was the epitome of a Pyrrhic victory for the Army of Northern Virginia. It was the most stunning and overwhelming victory that the South won in the war between the states. But the cost of victory was so great that in the long run, it did the South much more harm than good. And that is the definition of a Pyrrhic victory. For one thing, the South lost a fifth of their troops. Now the South, to be honest, never had a chance of winning the Civil War. But hubris is a powerful drug that blinds men's eyes to what ought to be obvious. But even the most diehard, fire-eating secessionist rebel began to feel uneasy when word got out that Lieutenant General Thomas J. Jackson had died on May 10th of 1863 of pneumonia. He had developed subsequent to wounds he sustained during his victorious campaign at Chancellorsville. The fall of Stonewall Jackson was a clear omen that the Confederacy was doomed. And in this passage, when King Josiah is killed in battle against the Egyptians in the, fa- in the valley of Megiddo, from which we get the word Armageddon, it is a sign direct from the Lord that the fall of Judah has come. The fall of Judah comes in three stages that occupy the last two chapters of 2 Kings, and today we'll try to get through the first part of it. So the end, part one. First in this passage, we see the removal of mercy. The removal of mercy. Look at chapter 23 and verse 29. In his days, Pharaoh, Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. And King Josiah went against him. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. Now, there are many factors in play with this battle. This was a period of history where a major change was happening. The dominant empire and the constant enemy of Judah had been Assyria for years. But Assyria was in decline, and Babylon was rising. Now, Egypt, to the south of Israel, had been allied with Assyria to the north of Israel at the time. And the Pharaoh, Necho, 
was leading an expeditionary force to aid the Syrians against Babylon at what would become known as the Battle of Carchemish. And that is almost, it might be interesting to you if all this is gibberish, it might be interesting to you that the Battle of Carchemish took place at exactly the same spot where the earthquake hit on the border of Turkey and Syria a month ago. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, it's easy for us to realize if Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon, if they want to fight it out, that's not our problem. But for whatever reason, obviously... Egyptian troops had to pass through Judah or territory Judah controlled. King Josiah decided to intercept the Egyptians. And Josiah got killed, shot with an arrow. We don't know everything that went into Josiah's decision making. The text doesn't say. Nor does it offer any evaluation of his course of action. The text only says that over the course of his reign, that before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and all his might. The point is not whether it was wise or foolish for Josiah to attack the Egyptians. The point is that the Lord ruled over all these circumstances to take out King Josiah. The Lord was withdrawing His mercy from the nation. Josiah had been a merciful gift of God to Judah. He was a godly man. After the two most wicked kings ever and their idolatry, human sacrifice, killing children, Spitting in the Lord's face. And the nation largely followed their lead. They deserved total destruction. But the Lord did not give Judah what they deserved. He gave them mercy. He gave them Josiah. And they experienced reform, revival, renewal, righteousness under Josiah. Now the Lord cuts him off, takes him out. And when he falls there in the valley of Megiddo, you can feel the mercy of God slipping away with him. You know, God doesn't know us. He doesn't know anyone else, mercy. Mercy, by its definition, is what we don't deserve. And that means we're not entitled to mercy. The reign of Josiah was a day of mercy for Judah. But that day ran out. This is a day of mercy. A day of grace. There's still time to repent to receive the free offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. But the day of mercy, the day of salvation will not last forever. And when it's over, it's over. So the scripture says, seek the Lord while 
he may be found. See the removal of mercy. Secondly, in this passage, we see an overwhelming enemy. An overwhelming enemy still in chapter 23. Look at verse 31. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Now, skip to verse 33, of course, Jehoahaz was evil. Now Pharaoh, Necho, put him in prison at Rivla in the land of Hamath that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money. According to the command of Pharaoh, he exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. And this king, Eliakim, Jehoiakim, or Jehoiakim, he was evil too. So after Josiah was killed, his, his son Jehoahaz became king, but the Pharaoh put him in prison and then took him to Egypt, and he remained in Egypt the rest of his life. Then Pharaoh made another son of Josiah king, changed his name from Eliakim to Jehoiakim. This king was a puppet controlled by Egypt. Now everyone is paying taxes to Egypt. But it gets worse than that real fast. Look at chapter 24 and verse 1. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him, and the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken by his servants, prophets. Now by now, Babylon has become the dominant power. We read later on that Babylon took over everything and Egypt gave up. Now, Judah that had been paying taxes, exorbitant taxes to Egypt now becomes a vassal state of Babylon for three years. Then the king of Judah, Jehoiakim, rebels against Babylon. And obviously, with that, he turned Babylon against him. And all sorts of raiding bands come against him. Chaldeans, that's Babylonians. The Syrians come against him. And the old thorns in their side, the Moabites and the Ammonites attack them. They are getting beat up by everyone from every side. Look at verse 10. At that time, servants of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. Now, I know you're fed up with all these different kings' names. So at least today, let's not even bother with what, which king it is. They're all bad. 
They're terrible at this point. Well, now Jerusalem is besieged. Capital city is besieged. And the current evil king is taken prisoner by Babylon. First the Egyptians, then Babylon, then about four other nations come against Judah. And now Babylon really gets serious. Jerusalem is going down. Now, we don't need to try to figure out all the geopolitical alliances between all these nations because that's not the point. This is the point. Look at verse 2. Back up at verse 2. And the Lord sent raiding bands of Chaldeans, Syrians, Moabites, Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken by his servants the prophets. Surely at the command of the Lord this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood which the Lord would not pardon. The text is absolutely plain. The Lord did this to Judah. The Lord raised up all these enemies to attack Judah because of the sins of Manasseh and the innocent blood that he shed. Now they got in hot water when they rebelled against Babylon. But long before that, they did something a whole lot worse than rebel against Babylon. They rebelled against the Lord. And now the time has come to pay. The Lord controls everything. The rulers and nations of the earth, no one can beat God. It seems unnecessary to say it, but no one can beat God. But ever since the fall of Adam, the default position of the entire human race is to be enemies of God. You and I were born on the wrong side. But the scripture says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 and following, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than that, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's the good news of the gospel. God loves His enemies. While we were enemies, while we were still sinners, God demonstrated His love for us. He gave His Son to die for our sins that we might be reconciled to God 
through the death of his son. The Lord has shown mercy to Judah. He had called Abram by his grace and set apart his own chosen nation and his own people turned on him. The scripture says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We were born the enemies of God because our people all the way back to Adam, were the enemies of God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to bear the sins of his enemies, to die in the place of his enemies. It's bad enough to be the enemy of God, naturally. But to look at His mercy in the face and spurn the offer of reconciliation from a God who gave His own Son to die for His enemies and say, I don't need you, God. I don't need your mercy. I don't need your Son. Oh, you have put yourself in a dangerous place. God is an overwhelming enemy. And you have an opportunity to make peace with Him. So we see the removal of mercy. We see an overwhelming enemy. And thirdly and finally in this passage, we see a just sentence. A just sentence. Look at verse 13. And he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. And he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. Also he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths, None remain except the poorest people of the land. And he carried Jehoiakim captive to Babylon. The king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty man of the land, he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon, all the valiant men, 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war. These the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. They're carried to Babylon. All but the poorest people of the land are hauled off to a foreign land. From the king to the blacksmith, I count over 18,000 listed in this passage, carried prisoner to Babylon. This is the Lord's sentence on Judah. It's a just sentence. All those years, they'd acted like pagans. They'd worshipped pagan gods, adopted pagan practices, lived by pagan rules. 
And basically, the Lord said, all right, if you want to live like pagans, I'll treat you like pagans. If you want to worship pagan gods, I'll send you to pagan land where you can have your pick. If you want to live like Babylonians, fine. I'll send you to Babylon and see how you like it there. Some of you I know have kept up with every minute of that trial down in Walterboro. And after a solid month of witnesses, exhibits, and evidence, and arguments, and Dick Harpootlin being Dick Harpootlin, it took the jury three hours to return a verdict of guilty on all counts. And Judge Newman praised the jury for their work and handed down two life sentences. We're all going to stand before God one day. And if we've spent our lives trying to get as far away from Him as we can, He will say, depart from me. That's a fair and just sentence. If we have never humbled ourselves and asked Him for mercy, He will send us to a place where there is no mercy. That's fair and just. It's hell. It's real. It's forever. And it's perfectly fair. But listen. Listen to me. When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than that, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. My friends, there is a way to be saved from the wrath of God. Receive the Son He gave to die for His enemies. Receive Him. Accept Him. Trust Him alone. While it is still the day of mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.